Hello and welcome to another teaching from 119 Ministries. Our ministry believes that the whole Bible is true and directly applicable to our lives today. If you would like to know more about what we believe and teach, please visit us at testeverything.net. We hope that you enjoy studying and testing the following teaching. Now that we know what we are, as established in part one, we can now examine scriptures through that framework to see how that plays into what happens when we die. To begin, we will again start in the beginning. While this will be somewhat of a review at first, be sure that part one was recently watched. What is death? If asked to define death, most of us would likely answer by saying, Death is the cessation of physical life, or something along those lines. That's a fair definition as compared to the scriptures. Death appears very early in the Bible. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, to see the first mention of death. Yahweh God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And Yahweh God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Following the introduction of sin, Adam was told the consequence. He will surely die. The consequence of sin is death. And on that very day that Adam ate of the fruit, the promise of death was instituted. It is in this event itself that we are also given the precise biblical definition of death. Death is defined as Adam becoming dust. He returns to dust. He returns to the same state he was before he existed, which means he doesn't exist. Genesis chapter 3 verse 19. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So death, as a consequence of sin, is not defined as a version of us that is a conscious spirit separated from a version of us that is a body. We become dust when Yahweh's spirit no longer animates us. Job chapter 34. If Yahweh should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. Does dust have consciousness? Does dust think or feel? No, it does not. And that is the definition of death. That is what happens. It is not anything more complicated or mystical than that. Remember the creation account. Living being, nefesh, equals dirt plus 
divine breath slash wind, neshama, ruach. Nefesh is often translated as soul, which is quite unhelpful in today's modern language because people often use soul and spirit interchangeably. We need to apply the biblical framework we established in the beginning of this teaching series. A soul, or nefesh, or living being, is dust plus spirit. We do not have a soul, but we are a soul. The Bible clearly says that souls, nefesh, dies. Ezekiel chapter 18. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father, as well as the soul of the Son, is mine. The soul who sins shall die. Numbers 31. Encamp outside the camp seven days. Whoever of you has killed any person, and whoever has touched any slain, purify yourselves and your captives on the third day and on the seventh day. Ezekiel 13. You have profaned me among my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread, putting to death souls who should not die and keeping alive souls who should not live by your lying to my people who listen to lies. 1 Peter 3. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. As established earlier, the death of a soul, or nefesh, is the body dying and Yahweh's spirit returning back to him. We will detail what that means more in a moment, but first, let's mention what most believe. Most Christians accept the Greek belief that man has a dual conscious nature, a spiritual and a physical. Within such a framework, death is the separation of the immortal conscious spirit from the mortal conscious body. The spirit version of us then goes on to live consciously in another realm, either in heaven or hell, eternally interacting experientially with either environment, depending on one's faith when in bodily form. However, the spirit, which was initially given by God, returns back to him for believers and unbelievers. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit, ruach, returns to God who gave it. So the Bible teaches that the spirit of every man, believer or unbeliever, returns to Yahweh. Since this is true, we know that unbelievers do not have a conscious spirit that goes to hell. There are not two spirits, one that goes back to Yahweh and the other spirit that goes to hell. We will reveal all the problems regarding the idea of an eternal punishment of a torturous burning hell later in this teaching series. The spirit of everyone who dies goes back to Yahweh. But since the spirit does not appear to function without a body, the spirit has no consciousness in death. Why should it? What would be the point of our created body if it did? What would be the point of our resurrection if we could exist consciously as a spirit being? We will also elaborate on that in detail in this part of the teaching. Many of those who teach that man, in spirit form, remains conscious after death, question the doctrine of the dead being unconscious, which is commonly called soul sleep. Such claim that only the body sleeps in death, while the spirit is awake in either heaven or hell. A serious look at this position exposes a misunderstanding of the nature of the two components of humans, as dirt plus spirit which becomes a living soul. Understandably, this causes problems. They often use soul and spirit interchangeably, even though the scriptures clearly show that there is a difference in the two. 
For example, consider Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, and of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts of the intentions of the heart. So, joints and marrow are used as a metaphor here. Joints are inclusive of marrow, just as living being, soul, or nefesh, is inclusive of a spirit, or ruach. The marrow is inside of the joints and bones, just as Yahweh's spirit, or breath, is inclusive of a living being, soul, or nefesh. As already mentioned, the part of us that is spirit, the unseen essence of us, returns to God who gave it. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit, ruach, returns to God who gave it. But just because man's spirit returns to Yahweh, does that mean we are conscious as a spirit? No. Again, we return to dust. Dust is not conscious. Dust is inanimate. We are going to take a moment here to go on a slight detour, so stay with us. There is a usage of a certain definition of death in Scripture that merits discussion. As already mentioned, death appears very early in the Bible. Let's look again at Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 to see the first mention of death. Yahweh God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And Yahweh God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Yahweh plainly told Adam that he would die the very day that he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just one chapter later, we see Adam and Eve eating of that forbidden fruit. Yet, they did not die that day. Did Yahweh lie to Adam about dying, as the serpent implied to Eve in the garden? Or did Yahweh literally mean that Adam would die the day that he ate of the fruit? In Genesis 3.19, Yahweh tells Adam his physical fate. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So death was promised to Adam on that day, meaning the day Adam ate of the fruit is the day that he would be promised to die. Death was in his future. The day that Adam ate the fruit was the day that Adam would surely die, or in other words, be promised to die. At that moment, life then became a terminal condition. In a similar way, we often find in Scripture that those who are not of the faith are called dead, and those who are of the faith are called alive. What can be confusing is that even those who are currently living are at the same time called dead. We will find that even the opposite is true, that those who are actually dead are said to be alive. Confused yet? That is what the Bible says, and it started with Adam and Eve. Hang in there. In this portion of the Life After Death series, we are going to examine scriptures related to this concept. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 5-6 through six. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead, even while she lives. Here, Paul states that a widow who lives in pleasure is dead, even while she continues to live physically. What does he mean by this statement? How can one be dead while still alive? In Colossians 2.13, Paul gives us a hint at the answer. 
And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Here, Paul states that a person who transgresses God's law, one who is a sinner, is dead in that state. Although physical death is one consequence of sin, clearly Paul isn't speaking of current physical death in this verse. It is also mentioned that we who are dead are alive when brought together back to Yahweh. In Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 5, he expounds on this concept. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Whoever breaks God's law commits sin, for sin is the transgression of his law, Torah. Sin is what merits our death. This is what Paul calls the law of sin and death. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Messiah Yeshua from the law of sin and death. So, those that are still under the condemnation for breaking the law of God are under death. They are dead men walking, if you will. Those who are in the grace afforded to us in faith through Messiah Yeshua are no longer under the law of sin and death, but we have received the spirit of life. We are made alive. This will all play out in the resurrections to come. Those in the faith will be resurrected unto eternal life. Those who are not in the faith will be resurrected to face judgment of their sin, leading to eternal death. We will cover the process following the resurrections later. For now, we want to show how those who are not in the faith are considered dead man walking, but those in the faith are considered to be alive. All of this refers to an advance of the promise each group can expect in the end. Sometimes this is called being spiritually dead or spiritually alive. That definition discerns at least some understanding, but fails to portray why living unbelievers are considered dead while those in the faith are still considered alive. What it really means is that those in the faith are promised eternal life through the work of our Messiah, and those who are not of the faith are promised eternal death. John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Messiah Yeshua, whom you have sent. 1 John 5, 20. And has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, and in his Son, Messiah Yeshua. He is the true God and eternal life. Knowing the true God is the key to eternal life. However, this knowledge goes beyond simply comprehending the idea of God. Those who truly know God also obey Him. The demons know who God is, but they do not have life because they do not repent by submitting to the authority and character behind God's law. Think of it this way. Belief is not something that is just in one's mind. One's mind is to be consumed by belief. The mind, consumed by this belief, then drives our action and behavior 
evidenced by following God's law. In God's view, those who do not want to live according to His commandments are dead because their unforgiven sin warrants eternal death. They do not believe. If they believed the Word of God to be true, then they would want to do the Word of God. Unrepentant sinners cannot have eternal life. Yet through the Father's wonderful grace, through Yeshua's sacrifice, we can be offered the promise of eternal life when we repent. So, again, when we are not in the faith, we are promised eternal death. We are then considered dead, despite literally still being alive. When we are in the faith, we are promised eternal life. So we then pass from death to life. Romans chapter 6, verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Messiah Yeshua. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. We have been made alive through repentance and the acceptance of our Messiah's atoning sacrifice. We have now been reconciled to our Father. We are now to be dead to sin. John tells us one way we can know we have progressed from death to life. 1 John 3.14 We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Messiah Yeshua had many things to say about death. Much of what he said was misunderstood by those he spoke to and remains perplexing to this day. For instance, let's look at what he told one of his disciples after the death of his father. Luke chapter 9. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Yeshua said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. What did Yeshua mean when he said, leave the dead to bury their own dead. Regarding life, death, and faith, the Messiah told the Jews the following. John chapter 6 No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that the one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. As Yeshua said, when we eat of the bread which came down from heaven, we will not die. But we do die, right? People in the faith are dying every day. So what does this mean? It is at this point we are going to introduce one of the most important concepts in this teaching series. And of course, it points back to the point and purpose of the resurrections to come. Understanding the purpose and need for the resurrections is the key to understanding the mechanics and conclusions of life after death. Yeshua stated that whoever believes has eternal life. Yeshua also stated that he will raise up those in the faith on that last day, in the very same context. In saying this, Yeshua is saying that you have to die before you are raised up. But, then Yeshua goes on to say that one will not die. 
So those in the faith will die, but not die. Confused yet? Don't worry, the Jews were confused too. The Jews totally missed the point Yeshua was making here. Verses 52 through 58. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give his flesh to eat? So Yeshua said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Yeshua is saying that we will indeed die a physical death. That is why we will need a physical resurrection. That is why we will need to be raised up. Obviously, if we did not physically die, we would not need a physical resurrection. So, we will indeed die. Remember, when we die, we become unconscious dust because of the curse of sin. That is the biblical definition of death. In the faith, however, we are promised a necessary physical resurrection into eternal life. And this occurs on the last day, when Yeshua returns, which we will cover more later. The point is this, and this is important for everything going forward. Yeshua is saying that we will die, but be raised up or resurrected. But by being resurrected, in what is called the first resurrection, we will be saved from another death. In addition, and this is equally important, the mention of our eternal life is connected to the last day, the day that we are resurrected. The resurrection is connected to eternal life. The resurrection is the actualization of our eternal life. So Yeshua is revealing that eternal life does not begin when we die. No, our eternal life begins at the resurrection. We will expound on that important point later in this series. The other death spoken of will be experienced by those who are not in the faith. Those who are not in the faith are resurrected from dust at a particular time as well. But their resurrection will not save them from this other death, what is specifically called the second death. Revelation chapter 2. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit say to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Revelation 20 verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Revelation 20, verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation 21, verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Those of us in the faith do not have to worry about this second death. The first resurrection protects us from experiencing the second death that is due to unbelievers. So, 
Unless we are alive when Yeshua returns to experience immediate changing into our resurrected bodies, we will all die and turn to dust, whether we are in the faith or not. But only those in the faith will not experience the second death. John chapter 6, verses 44 through 51. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. What death is Yeshua referring to when he says, we will not die? The second death. Revelation 2:11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. This means we will indeed experience the first death. Again, assuming we die before Yeshua returns. But we will all be resurrected from the first death, believers and unbelievers. However, those in the faith will not experience the second death. And that is what is important. That is what we in the faith care about. Unbelievers will be resurrected from the first death to face judgment for their sin and will experience the second death as a result of their judgment. Like the death that came over the world during Noah's flood was water, the second death that comes over the world will be by fire. We will explain all those connections later. The point here is that there is no recovery from the second death. The second death is final and forever. It is game over, no more existence. It is still the same definition of death as the first death we all experience. The only difference is that the second death for resurrected unbelievers is that it does not lead to any future resurrection. You are dead forever. Our created purpose is to glorify Yahweh eternally. Returning to our metaphor used in part one, for those who choose not to embrace their created purpose, they are in effect deleted, just as you would with any computer program with corrupted code that is not functioning according to its created purpose. This was a hard concept to understand in the first century, especially since most of the Jews in the first century were heavily influenced by Greek ideas of the afterlife as a ghost-like spirit. Yeshua spent some time on it, but his audience was rather overwhelmed at the teaching. They did not understand the concept of the second death. John chapter 8, verses 51 through 53. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who did you make yourself out to be? In this passage, Yeshua plainly states that those who keep his word, the father's word, John 12, 49, would never see death. It's obvious that he did not mean the first death that we all experience because the Jews correctly pointed out that both Abraham and the prophets had already died. The Messiah was clearly speaking here of the second death, the final death, from which no one recovers. 
That is the death that we will thankfully never see. But sadly, many will see that death. When talking to the Sadducees about the resurrection, Yeshua again speaks of the living and the dead. Matthew 22. But Yeshua answered them, You are wrong, because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Some have attempted to use Matthew 22:32 to prove that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are now alive in heaven. Yet, as we will cover more in this series, this belief contradicts numerous clear scriptures which show that believers are currently asleep in their graves. God calls those things which do not exist as though they did. What do we mean by that? What did Paul and Romans mean by that? Remember what we showed earlier. Those who were actually alive were called dead. Why? Because by not being in the faith, they were on the path of being eternally dead because they would experience the second death. They were referred to being dead even though they were currently alive. Because in the end, that'll be the result, eternal death. Likewise, recall how we showed that the opposite is also true. Those who were actually dead were called alive. Why? Because by being in the faith, they were on the path of being brought into eternal life because they would experience the resurrection unto eternal life. They were referred to being alive even though they were currently dead because that will be their end result at the resurrection, eternal life. Bringing that biblical understanding into Matthew 22:32, Yeshua could confidently tell the Sadducees that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were alive because their resurrection to eternal life is certain due to their faithful obedience. Yeshua's statement did not mean that these three men had already been resurrected and were then alive somewhere. No one has partaken in the first resurrection. Yeshua made this statement in the context of the resurrections to come, and that is why Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were referred to as part of the living. Remember, even Yeshua had not been resurrected up until this point, and Yeshua is referred to as the first fruits of the resurrection. Yeshua is the first of all to be resurrected unto eternal life. And all those resurrected in the faith can only be resurrected because of Yeshua's death and resurrection. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have not yet been resurrected. They are no more technically alive today than those who are living that Yeshua called currently dead. It is metaphorical and communicates the end result of each. Those in the faith will be resurrected unto eternal life and thus are defined as alive. Those not of the faith will be resurrected to judgment, leading to eternal death, and are consequently, even though when technically alive, still called dead. Thus, Yeshua makes it clear that even those who profess to be alive can be called dead, because such are promised to be resurrected unto judgment, and consequently, face the second and eternal death. For another example, Revelation chapter 3. To the church in Sardis, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Likewise, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are called living, not because they are conscious spirits somewhere, but because they are promised to be resurrected unto life. They are part of the plan of eternal life. They are alive because of the promised resurrection. 
One of the most widely quoted passages regarding death is from Paul's letter to the Roman assembly. Romans chapter 6. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Messiah Yeshua our Lord. 1 Corinthians 15.3 For I delivered to you as of the first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. The Scriptures clearly show that the wages of sin is death, and that Messiah Yeshua died for our sins. All will eventually stand judgment. When we are resurrected and stand judgment, we will be protected by the grace and blood of Yeshua, and thus we are not sentenced to another death. When unbelievers are resurrected for the purpose of standing judgment as the righteous Torah demands, they will not be covered by grace, and they will be sentenced to death. For them, this simply happens to be the second time they die, and thus it is called the second death. Most of the Christian world believes this death to be everlasting torment in the fires of hell. However, simple logic should tell us that this scenario cannot be correct. If the Messiah paid for sin in our stead, he had to suffer the penalty that we should have suffered because of our sins. According to Romans 6.23, that penalty is death. Yet, this death cannot be everlasting torment because Messiah Yeshua is not now suffering endlessly in an ever-burning hell. Yeshua did not suffer everlasting torment on our behalf. Yeshua took on death on our behalf. He did not take on everlasting torment on our behalf. If Yeshua did take our punishment for our sin as eternal torment, then it logically follows that he would still be in eternal hell burning, but he is not. Yeshua died just as we all die. That is the punishment he took for us, death. He did not take on eternal punishment in hell for us. Think of it this way. If the punishment of sin is eternal burning in hell, then why is Yeshua still not burning in hell if that is the punishment he took for us? Why would unbelievers face a greater punishment than the punishment Yeshua took for us? Yeshua died just as we all die. However, because Yeshua did not deserve death, he was resurrected. He was the only person who ever existed who died, but really shouldn't have, at least according to what Yahweh's Torah demands. That is the punishment he took for us death. And because of Yeshua's death on our behalf and resurrection because of his lack of sin, we in the faith can also be resurrected following our death. Romans chapter 6. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So in this, we have introduced some of the mechanics of the resurrection to come demonstrating its clear and profound importance. We have not revealed all of the scripture that maps out the resurrection or what follows. We simply needed to highlight the importance of the resurrection for us as believers, as it is the resurrection that saves us from the second death, which is an eternal death. In upcoming parts of this teaching series, we will accomplish two things. We will continue to focus on what occurs between the time we die and the resurrections to come. We will continue to focus on the importance of the resurrection as the means Yahweh uses to save us from death. This concludes part two of the Life After Death series. At this point, the following should now be better understood. We are created as dust plus Yahweh's breath. 
which animates us into nefesh, or a living soul. Death is a returning to dust. We are not conscious while we are dead. Our spirit returns to Yahweh until the resurrection, when we are made new. For those in the faith, a future resurrection brings us back to life from the first death, and a resurrection of unbelievers brings them back to life to face the second and eternal death. Part 3 of this series will continue to define death so that we better understand what occurs or doesn't occur between the first death and the resurrection. We will also continue to emphasize the importance of the resurrection. Later in this series, we will look more closely at the resurrection of believers and unbelievers and detail what follows both. In that section, we will examine the concepts of heaven and hell and what role they do or do not play in life after death. We pray that you've been blessed by this teaching and remember, continue to test everything. Shalom. It is because of you, our generous supporters, who make it possible to offer these high-quality teachings completely free of charge. If you feel led to support 119 Ministries so that we can continue this effort, please visit testeverything.net and click on the Support 119 tab. Learn how you can partner with us to take the whole Word of God to the nations.